I finally figured out that the way to to teach the alphabet or the way to learn the alphabet is not to start with alphabet gamma necessarily, but to go straight for the letters that they have that we don't. average CEO reads 60 books per year, and many attribute their success to this habit of constant learning. This is the difference between those who actualize and those who fail. This automization of their learning, this 1% better every day. On the Minterbox podcast, we're making it easy for you to build and maintain that same habit, the same type of constant lifelong learning as those CEOs, simply by listening to this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and tune in for new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and every Friday. And if you want to dig deeper into what our incredible guests teach, make sure to go to mentorbox.com and become a member today. Everyone, welcome to the Mentorbox Podcast. You are here because you believe that you're capable of achieving, experiencing, and then giving back to your community and family everything and anything you choose to focus your attention on. But you also believe that before action comes knowledge, which is why today we're speaking with Mary Norris, copy editor at The New Yorker and comma queen herself. She's written a book called Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen. In the book, she discusses language, culture, history, class, and much, much more with plenty of hilarious anecdotes. In this podcast, we talk about her forthcoming book, Greek to Me, Further Adventures of a Comma Queen, which is her personal take on the robust, wonderful history that is ancient Greek. We cover all things old and new, proper and lewd, and more. I think you're going to have a lot of fun with this one, guys. Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Mentor Box Podcast. I am your host, content coordinator, Tyler Lay, and today I am speaking with Mary Norris, New Yorker copy editor and now author of Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen. Yes, everybody, I'm speaking with the comma queen herself. <laughs> Mary, it's wonderful to be here with you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Tyler. So you have written this book, Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen, but you are slated to put out Further Adventures of the Comma Queen. You have a second book coming along. Tell us what that book is about. Well, the new book is going to be called Greek to Me. Greek to Me. Okay. Further Adventures of a Comma Queen. Yes. Um, it is going to... I think the idea for the book developed because, you know, we, we were talking about how much it helps your English to learn a foreign language. Mm-hmm. And a lot of time. That is, I spent a lot of time back in my 30s studying Greek. Okay. And I was doing this while I was working at The New Yorker. I had a great shift job. I was able to work nights so I could study Greek. During the day, I went up to Columbia and had I took actual courses with undergraduates. Wow. So... I learned a lot about English from Greek, how to spell a word like ophthalmologist. It's O-P-H-T-H, yep. <laughs> not O-P-T-H. And um, I even got the New Yorker to pay for the courses hmm. in ancient Greek, which at first they balked at, but then I showed them how often 
words came through the copy desk that were from Greek. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, you know, the writer John McPhee, who is one of my idols, wrote a lot about geology, and he used the word autochthonous. Okay. What does that mean? That's auto. <laughs> we know what auto means. Yep. It's self. self. But the word it follows, chthonos, C-H-T-H-O-N. O-U-S? Uh, N-O-U-S, autochthonous. It was a hard one to spell. Yeah. But chthonos meant something like from the earth. So autochthonous meant some kind of something that came out of the earth, something that was generated by the earth. Anyway, this is a beautiful word and... I knew how to spell it because of having studied Greek. So how did you come to choose Greek in the first place? I told you this earlier when we were doing our workshop. I picked up Latin in college. I didn't pick it up. I studied it for, you know, two years. (laughs) Uh, I learned a lot from it. I also think that I learned a lot about the English language and root words and prefixes, suffixes, etc. But I also know that obviously Greek is very essential to the language as well. So what drew you to... To that, I wanted to go to Greece, mm-hmm. and I think it's polite to spend some time learning the language of the place I. that you go to, even though many, many Greeks speak English. They're, they're wonderful linguists. People are put off by the Greek alphabet, mm-hmm. and that's kind of unnecessary, or at least it's exaggerated, because you learned an alphabet when you were a child, yeah. right? And you could learn another alphabet if you just stopped worrying about it. <laughs> you stopped complaining. <laughs> I've tried to teach the Greek alphabet. In fact, it took me a long time to get into writing this book because I thought, well, I have to teach people the Greek alphabet before we can go on and talk about the rest of the Greek language. But it turned out I was just wearing myself out. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's boring to just say, well, first comes alpha. <laughs> and then when by the time you get to lambda, you're really exhausted. Yeah. So I had to think of another way to approach that. But it, it is true that the Greek alphabet is a beautiful thing. I, oh, yeah. I think it's autochthonous. I think it came out of the earth itself. <laughs> I love that. That's a really interesting idea. Do you offer any methods for learning the alphabet in the book? Do you say, you know, go here, or do you actually just recommend that they learn it on their own before they jump into your book? Well, I finally figured out that the way to, to teach the alphabet, the way to learn the alphabet, is not to start with alphabet gamma necessarily, mm-hmm. but to go straight for the letters that they have that we don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, autochthonous is the key. We transliterate it as CH, but it just, yeah. in Greek, it looks like an X. X yeah, yeah. And the, the TH is one letter th- Theta. Mm-hmm. So that just that explains autochthonous. It explains ophthalmologist. There you go. The pH was the is the letter phi yep. or phi. Most people know the fraternity system. Did you belong to a fraternity? I didn't, but that, I was going to say that's where I recognize most Greek letters is from the houses along the, the frat row fraternity? of my college. No, I wasn't in one, oh. um, but I, I saw them all along you know, frat row at school. And that's, that's where I saw most of my Greek letters. And honestly, probably how I learned the Greek alphabet, just by seeing and being curious, I guess. Well, I'm sorry you didn't belong to a fraternity because I was going to try to <laughs> squeeze out of you the motto. Oh. <laughs> There's a motto behind each one of those sets of letters that mm-hmm. the fraternity uses. You oh, know? I didn't know that. Delta, Delta, Delta. It's because it's a secret motto and they won't tell you. Oh. I, I, you'd think you could torture them. And they would never tell you. 
<laughs> I never realized that. That's interesting. What are you addressing in the book? All things Greek, I think, is how you've described it to me already. It really is all things Greek. It's a, some modern Greek, some ancient Greek. Is it a 1,000-volume series? <laughs> right. Um, I, everything you always wanted to know about Homer, but were afraid to ask. <laughs> a lot of it was an intimidating subject to approach. And oh, yeah. That's why it has helped me to keep remembering that the name of the book is Greek to me. Yeah, yeah. So it's only the stuff I know about Greek. It's Greek mm-hmm. to me. Sure. And I've traveled to a lot of the islands. I've spent a little time in Athens. And I've read both modern and ancient writers. One of the unusual things that this led to, I'd never studied a dead language Mm -hmm. I didn't study Latin, and I studied a lot of living languages so that I could travel. But when I studied ancient Greek, I really missed all of those social things you do when you study a language. You know, you go out and eat the food of that ethnicity, you know, the Mm -hmm. ethnic food. You... You get drunk with the the ones who speak that language. That's a big one, isn't Mm -hmm. it? You learn about the wine and the national drink. Yes. And you do skits. You do dialogues in class. Yeah, yeah. So I happened to see a flyer on campus for auditions for Euripides Electra. And I thought, that's it. That's the way to do this. Mm -hmm. Be in a play in the ancient Greek. The play was all in the original ancient Greek. So... Well, it was social because it's always social to be in, a, in theater is a yeah, social thing. production, yeah. And you hear the language. Of course, they don't really know how any of it was pronounced back then. Mm-hmm. But academics have decided, they've kind of deduced, they've figured out, they've agreed on the value of vowels and mm-hmm. consonants and how to pronounce them. So there is kind of a received pronunciation. I see. Greek is such a robust history, Greek history. I think of Hercules, the cartoon that was on, I think, the Disney Channel when I was a kid. That was my introduction to especially Greek mythology and the gods and goddesses and all of that. And I was such a huge fan of those things that in my even early high school career, I did a little bit of independent research and studying on that topic and the mythology and the literature of ancient Greece. And I think it's safe to say that a lot of those stories, you think about Homer and Plato, et cetera, those great thinkers, those great writers are really in the Western canon very seriously. I mean, they're in a lot of English literature courses and philosophy courses. And I love that you're calling this Greek to me because there's so much there. it's, It's intimidating to approach that topic, but you're really doing it almost for yourself? Are you are you using this as an avenue to invite people to such complex histories to, you know, embrace them in a certain way? Well, it's a little difficult to stop researching and writing mm-hmm. because, you know, I started with Homer and there is a lot of literature by Homer and about Homer and there's all this scholarship, things about who Homer was, whether it Homer was one person, whether yeah. Homer was a woman. There's a very famous scholar of the 20th century named Milman Perry who did research on oral poetry in what was then Yugoslavia. Hmm. And he 
came up with all the, um, well, he kind of debunked Homer a little bit. Wow. You know, all of the epithets, the wine dark sea, gray-eyed Athena, dawn with her fingertips of rose, those are all filler. You know? yeah. <laughs> they just fit the meter. And there were different versions of them that would fit different sure. lines and fill them out. And there have been so many different ways of dealing with those epithets in translations. I got carried away, you know, reading different translations, comparing epithets. Wow. And then it turns out that this comparing a certain epithet, the way different epithet just meant, ad, ad, in modern Greek, epithet just means adjective. But in Homeric Greek, it's a very special characteristic of a person, and it is there for a reason. Mm -hmm. Swift-footed Achilles is always swift-footed, but when he is chasing Hector around Troy, you know Hector doesn't have a chance because this is swift-footed mm -hmm. Achilles. He is going to outrun Hector. So that epithet gets really powerful. As yeah. it builds up, and you know, this is way toward the end of the poem, too. But what I realized, what kind of helped me get into the whole subject of Homer, was that my first exposure was in the movies when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I saw Ulysses, and I had to look this up to find out because I didn't know anything about mm -hmm. Kirk Douglas when I was a kid. But Kirk Douglas was playing Ulysses, and Circe. And the Cyclops, the Cyclops was, you know, the Cyclops will get your attention. Oh, yeah. I think I saw that one as well. <laughs> Is Ulysses resourceful, Polytropos? Am I getting that right? Right, Polytropos, yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I remember learning about that one back in school. Yeah, um, I saw a lot of those movies as well, and I, I think they're just some of the most fun. I just, I really do love that mythology, and I think it's very common for young kids to really find a lot of inspiration in those characters, just the, the heroism that, that surrounds them and, and the system of gods. It's, it's really complex, but they all have their unique characteristics. And in the cartoon that I mentioned, they each have their own bright colors and that sort of thing. It's, it's just a very, for, you know, this sort of my, at least my particular Western upbringing, it's just, it's very appealing. And I, I really think that the way you're bringing it into literature is, is very appealing as well. What kind of audience are you thinking about for this? Oh, I think the same audience that likes English will like Greek. Mm -hmm. I have to be careful about using words like polytropos. Yeah, of course. Or, or at least transliterate them into English so as mm -hmm. not to put off readers. Because before I learned the Greek alphabet, if a word, a thorough had some Greek in Walden. I remember coming to that when I was a freshman in college and wanting to throw that book across the room. You know, how <laughs> dare he put letters in there that I don't understand? <laughs> yeah. So I'm sensitive to that. But I am hoping that people who enjoyed reading about English and uh, the subtleties of the English language will also enjoy learning something about Greek. Mm -hmm. And it's not, you know, Homer is where I start. I love the Olympian gods, mm -hmm. and I think they're still valuable. I think it's still possible to, ev to let's see, the word is invoked, it, possible to invoke Athena, who is the very model of a fierce, independent woman, you know, to help you in life. I mean, 
Yeah. It just is a, every God is like an aspect of yourself. Yeah. And like you that. have the aspects of all those gods in you. I mean, Athena is my particular favorite. And sometimes I recognize Hermes in a shopkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> or when I'm driving and I get lost, I curse Hermes. Cur, why did you give me the wrong directions? I think the um, modern Hermes is the GPS. Okay, I see He's that. the god of travel, right? He sure. tells you where to go at the crossroads. I actually played Hermes in a brief middle school production, a theater production. We had a, a thing called Greek Day when we were studying this exact topic, the Olympian gods and Greek history. And every homeroom, every class had to do their own like five-minute skit. And my teacher was kind of hilarious and everybody else took like an actual myth and just like condensed it into a five minute thing and had characters and everything. But my teacher, Mr. Bent, Derek Bent, every year would do something outrageous. And we did a skit involving Brad Pitt and a, a series of talking inanimate objects. And <laughs> it was, it was outrageous. It was a love story about narcissism. And I think we kind of took maybe the Narcissus myth or something along those lines and it just turned it into like modern day characters. It was outrageous, but I was, I was Hermes and my only job was to flitter across the stage with a sign saying act one, act two, whatever. So I was, I was thrilled not to have a speaking part at that point. Since then I've <laughs> grown a bit more courageous and now I speak on podcasts. I guess I made some progress, oh. but interesting little story there. But did you get to wear shoes with wings on Yes, them? I did. <laughs> I, I actually, I tried to kind of... I tried to emulate Hermes from Hercules, the cartoon, where I think he also has a little crown type thing that he wears and, and the little winged uh, sandals as well. So Yes, he had a special hat, I know. Yeah, yeah, something along those lines. So. I just watched fun. Hercules with Dwayne Johnson. Now, I felt a little silly watching this movie of Hercules because it was loud and it was violent and yeah. there was a lot of... Um, um, murder in it. and The Dwayne Johnson one. The, the Dwayne the Johnson rock. was, yeah, The Rock. But I couldn't turn it off because I knew they were going to show the centaurs. They're going to have a war with the centaurs. Oh, that's right. And I had to keep it on and just long enough to see the horses with the centaurs were beautiful. They were yeah. really well done. But I think instead of receding into the past, it really does seem to me that the Greeks, the mythology, um, uh, you know, the whole culture of ancient Greece, which lasted only a little, little time back then. It was yeah. maybe three generations that it all blossomed, all the yeah, playwrights and really Plato. Remarkable. But it has just kept rolling, snowballing, and mm -hmm. we, we enjoy it more and more, I think. There have been recent translations of Homer by um, two women, mm -hmm. Emily Wilson just did the Odyssey, and a yeah. few years ago, Caroline Alexander mm -hmm. did the Iliad, and this in addition to the Christopher Logue free translation of the Iliad called War Music, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So in the book, I kept getting carried off onto these different subjects because there's so much oh, yeah. to research. You know, even the history of the translation of Homer. You could write a whole book on that. Oh, and I'm sure there are so books on that at this Ooh. point. <laughs> I, I love that, though. It's like our modern culture and our modern sensibility is making way for new translations and just 
comprehensions of the classics. I, I read a little bit of Emily Wilson's. I also spent time at Norton before being at MentorBox, which is your publisher, of course. And I knew the editor of that book very well, Pete Simon. It was just mind blowing to me. He gave a presentation on what was kind of the, what were the highlights of that book and just the new sort of sensibility that's being brought to these translations because women are actually reading it and saying, you know, here's how I feel about this. When over hundreds of years, women haven't, for whatever reason, maybe been given the access to to do that sort of a translation or just just haven't done it for whatever reason. And I, I think it's so cool that that these stories are coming into the 21st century in that manner. Well, I got hold of a book called Ladies Greek. Mm -hmm. It's an academic book about women back in Victorian times, mainly actually starting in the Victorian time, Victorian times, starting with, say, Virginia Woolf. Oh, yeah. In the Common Reader, there's an essay called On Not Knowing Greek. And I picked that up thinking, ha ha, Virginia Woolf. <laughs> Doesn't know Greek, and I do. I'm smarter than Virginia Woolf. But then I read the essay, and of course, Virginia Woolf you know? <laughs> read Greek. And what she meant by that title was that it's too bad. We can't really know how these words were pronounced or how they sounded, because yeah. that would add so much to what is already a very powerful, compact poetry you know, they have such interesting ways of putting things, and in a lot of what has come down to us, too, is poetry. Mm -hmm. So it's extra dense. Oh, yeah. So anyway, Virginia Woolf studied Greek, and there was the ladies' Greek supposedly was Greek without accents. Ancient Greek has a lot of accents, and some of them change the word completely. Yeah. Some of them show you you know, what the length of the vowel is or the value of the vowel. Mm -hmm. And the accents are a bit of a nuisance. And if you just say, well, I'm not doing the accents, <laughs> then I guess you're not really doing Greek. <laughs> uh, but there have been many famous women who were Greek scholars. Mm -hmm. I, I think there were translations of Homer in other languages before Emily Wilson. Is that right? Ah, I bet that's possible. I, I believe yeah. that's true. But this this was the first American English translation. Hey, Hate to interrupt this conversation with Mary Norris, but I wanted to let you know where you can hear more of her hilarious stories. She did a full feature workshop with us where we even took a close look at her toolkit. Pencils, erasers, all that good stuff. As usual, she taught this lesson exclusively for MentorBox members. To see all that and tons more, go to MentorBox.com. Okay, back to the show. So and there's also a lot of other topics that I will touch on. For instance, the food of Greece and the wine. Yeah. You know, they didn't have beer. They they were the I think they were the inventors of wine. If not, they were huh. certainly some of the early users. They sure used <laughs> and it. Makers of wine. They have yeah. their own god, right? Dionysus. Yeah, Dionysus. God, god of wine. Partying. But you know, they didn't have beer until really recently was when they imported a king, I think it was Bavarian king, oh. or it might have been a Danish king. But they didn't have beer, so he had to bring his own brewmaster with him when he came to Greece. <laughs> and that's when their beer dates from that monarchy. Oh, I didn't realize that. And do you write about that in the book? Uh-huh. Yes, I do. There we go. That's a really cool topic. They now have craft breweries in Greece. I'm happy to read <laughs> I, bet it, I bet it didn't take long for beer to spread. It's... <laughs> Not a uncommon pastime to drink beer in most of the world at this point. 
What what else are you writing about? I I I want to do a quick plug for Virginia Woolf actually because she's my favorite writer of all time. Have you read A Room of One's Own or Mrs. Dalloway by any chance? Oh yes, I've read a lot of Virginia Woolf. I had a yeah. Virginia Woolf kick. Okay, yeah, I, I, I studied her when I was actually in London abroad. So quick plug, everybody listening, pick up some Virginia Woolf. Great reading. Um, but what else are we talking about in, in your book, Greek to Me? Well, since we're talking about British writers, mm-hmm. do you know the work of Patrick Lee Fermer? I can't say I do. He's a wonderful British travel writer who was a hero of the Second World War, stationed in Greece. He was stationed on Crete. There was a famous incident in which he helped kidnap a German colonel. Mm-hmm. I think it was a colonel on Crete and marched him over some terrible mountain ranges and uh, bonded with him in a funny way because the colonel started quoting some Latin poetry and it was something Firmer had, Lee Firmer had by heart and he finished it off for him. Mm-hmm. So, and this is in a movie called Ill Met by Moonlight. That incident was made into a movie. Oh. But what was really interesting to me about Patrick Lee Firmer is his series of books. He wrote two books about Greece, one called Mani, which is about the Middle Peninsula of the three hanging down from the Peloponnese, mm-hmm. a very wild, savage place that is was so inaccessible for so many centuries that its history is, uh, you know, they're a little backward. They missed the Renaissance, mm-hmm. and they were famous for feuds between families that went on for generations. And he ended up settling in the Mani, in a town called Cardamili. Okay. And his home there, he built a house there, and that house is now a a pilgrimage place. Oh. People, I just went there myself last spring, Mm -hmm. and the house is closed now, being refurbished because it deteriorated. Yeah. Lee Firmer lived into his 90s. Wow. And had a... A lot of company coming and going and piles of old books and cats. And it has the most amazing view out over the Mediterranean toward the next peninsula. Um, The colors of the sea, there are a lot of cypress trees and pine trees. And I think it's the reflection of those deep greens on the sea that make it into the most beautiful indescribable shade mm-hmm. of piney green blue just really beautiful and you are trying to describe that in the book I'm doing my best <laughs> any are, pictures is it a picture book any pictures I at wish, all I wish I wish I always take pictures of anything greek that I see for instance um what I it was a, I don't even know what it means but athena for the course I think there might be some golf club <laughs> Or I don't know what, but some, how, how would you associate <laughs> Athena with golf? Hephaestus, I would associate with golf. Yeah, Athena's but a all the stretch. time you see Athena or Apollo Electric, yep. right? Or Zeus Rent-A-Car. <laughs> so I, I would love it if they could incorporate some of my own photos of how mythology has entered the 21st century. Yep. But I think it would be too expensive. I'll just have to describe them. <laughs> 
that's too bad, but I'm sure your descriptions will be wonderful. So I'm seeing, we're actually looking at a list right here of some of the items that you discuss in the book. I see some fun ones. I want to ask you what your absolute favorite is. You may have already discussed it, but I see some good ones in here. Um, We've covered Virginia Woolf and Achilles and Hercules a little bit. I also see nudity. I see donkeys, eye color, Jesus is in there, and then I see cheese pies. I'm intrigued by <laughs> cheese pie because my palate is rather unsophisticated, and I think that sounds delicious. Oh, doesn't it, though? <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to have for lunch in Greece. Okay. With a big beer. <laughs> <laughs> lunch beers. Mostly when you think about Greek food, I don't know what you think about, but certainly olives. The olives olives is, is about all I would feel comfortable jumping to. Like I said, unsophisticated palate. Well, I heard a lot about lamb, but okay. I personally don't really enjoy lamb that much. Um, so cheese pies is a fallback. Feta cheese is mm-hmm. a thing you have a lot of in Greece and a Greek salad with tomatoes and cucumbers and olives, mm-hmm. Kalamata olives. Yes. Try the big black ones from the town of Kalamata. And I like also ouzo. Ouzo must be on the list, yes, right? Yes, I see Which that you here. Mix with ice and a little water. And always you have a little f- something to eat along with ouzo. Mm-hmm. Olives again. Yes, <laughs> of course. How about uh, donkeys and nudity? Those sound fun. <laughs> well, I think for nudity, you m- let's see. Probably guess. I mean, there's a well, lot Well, you know, they're, they are freer on beaches yes. in Europe. And they, I was surprised there might not be a place to change clothes on a beach and they just change clothes on the beach. Yeah, what? the whole place is the place to change. <laughs> the first time I went to Greece, you know, I, I tend to wear a very conservative one-piece bathing suit. Mm-hmm. And the first time I was there, by the time I'd been there on the beach for a while, seeing what other people wore, many of the women were topless. That one-piece bathing suit began to feel like a winter overcoat, you know. <laughs> so I shed some... I, f- I finally bought a two-piece bathing suit for the first time in my life. Wow. And when I was trying it on, it came to me spontaneously how to say I'm fat in Greek. <laughs> it came to you spontaneously. <laughs> I knew how to get the right ending on that adjective Pakis, Pakia. So I was very proud of that. <laughs> and it distracted me from how terrible I looked in the bathing suit. Oh, no. <laughs> but there, I did have some adventures. I mean, when you go to a beautiful place and you want to swim and you didn't bring your bathing suit, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Right? As for donkeys, I love donkeys. One of the things that I miss whenever I come home for from Greece is all the animals that you see mm-hmm. when you are in Greece. Uh, you see a lot of goats and lambs, and the donkeys are my favorite. They make the funniest sound. It's not really hee-haw. That's how we see it in children's books, right? Yeah, yeah. It's more like, oh, jeez. <laughs> so it's backwards from hee-haw, and they call to each other. The donkeys, of course, were burdens. Were the donkeys, of course, were beasts of burden. Yep. But now they have motor scooters to carry things around on, <laughs> so the donkeys are getting retired. They, they can have just hang out a much now. better life. They get to hang out and 
It's good to know. Chew on the grass and the, they leave a little bucket of water for them. And other donkey things. And <laughs> they donkey call pastimes. to each other They're yeah. from over the hills. One one goes, you know, I, I'm not going to imitate it again. It's hard on <laughs> one my throat. But they call to each other over the hills and yeah. their voices are funny. They sound like a creaky door opening. Great. All that and so much more. I'm looking again at the list between us and there's got to be a hundred plus items that you're discussing in this book. And I do think it's so, so cool that you're taking such a robust and complex and popular history and system of mythology and boiling it down to, you know, personal interest and personal history with that topic. And of course, you're a very studied and researched individual, so I'm sure it's an impressive book. I can't wait to read it myself. Oh, thank you. Again, it's Greek to Me, Further Adventures of the Comma Queen. Yes. And... Where can people learn more about you? Where can our listeners more learn more about you as a writer, as a copy editor, and as an individual? Well, people can look at my website, comicqueen.net, which is going to be transitioning from English grammar to Greek pretty soon. <laughs> Great. Also, don't forget, Between You and Me, Confessions of a Comma Queen is the currently available book. We just did our workshop, our feature workshop on that as well. So members of MentorBox, be on the lookout for that. And also be on the lookout for Greek to Me. Mary, it's been wonderful speaking with you. Thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you, Tyler. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Have a great day. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors, as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts, as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.